Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to public worship this evening, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise from Psalm 139. It's on page 432 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 139, O Lord, Thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up. Ye all my thoughts afar to thee are known, my footsteps and my lying down. Thou compassest always, thou also most entirely art acquaint with all my ways. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast me searched unknown. <coughs> join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, you reveal things to us from your word that are way, way beyond our understanding. How it is that you know the words that will come from our lips before we utter them is a profound mystery to us. But then there is a great deal of mystery when it comes to contemplating who you are 
even the very fact that you never had a beginning that you are the eternal God is way beyond our comprehension but we believe these truths because you have revealed them to us we thank you this night that it is not all mystery to us but there are things that we do know and that is true of us whether we are saved or unsaved we have an innate knowledge of you even as fallen human beings but we thank you that by grace we can know you at a different level and in a different way we thank you that we know you this night not just as a judge you are a judge you are a just judge but you are the judge who has provided a way of redemption for us in all our fallenness and in all our sins we can come to your footstool and we can unburden our souls and we can have the greatest gift that a human being can receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and at a time like this when we mourn the passing of our late queen we do give thanks once again for all the service she gave over many many decades and we do believe she was sustained by a deep rooted faith in you we thank you for the integrity and demeanour that she displayed even in the most testing of times because she was not spared things that were no doubt a heartbreak to her but she continued to conduct herself in a way that was honouring to God and set an example to this nation we pray O Lord that you would raise up others among us who would know that it is righteousness alone that exalts a nation and that sin is a reproach to any people we remember others this night who are mourning the loss of loved ones O Lord our God may we flee to you for our security and our hope in the darkest of days may we remember you are the king of life and you are the king who conquered death and we pray that um, you would be with us all as we go along life's journey we remember in particular at this time Ella MacDonald in hospital in the Ross Memorial as she comes to the end of her earthly sojourn have mercy upon her and help her and remember her family circle whom she loved dearly and still does there is no getting away from it whenever the parting of the ways comes it is a huge wrench but we pray that you would give us the grace that we all need in the given circumstances that we find ourselves in we pray for all the young people who have left this congregation and community in these last few days 
to go to colleges, universities, to take up apprenticeships, traineeships, some who will shortly go to the other side of the world, O Lord our God. We pray that they would each trust in you. And for parents who are feeling the pang of youngsters leaving, may they turn to you to uh, communicate with you on a daily basis that you would not only bless them, but bless their loved ones as well. Our earnest prayer is that we will all be together as families on the shores of eternity. So be with us for this hour that we are gathered here. Bless us all, born and unborn. We do give thanks for everyone. And we pray that we would all honour you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in the same song, Psalm 139. And at verse 7, that's page 432 of the Psalter. From thy spirit, whither shall I go? Or from thy presence fly, ascend I heaven. Lo, thou art there, there, if in hell I lie. Take I the morning wings, and dwell in utmost parts of sea. Even there, Lord, shall thy hand me lead, thy right hand hold shall me. Verses 7 to 12. From thy spirit, whither shall I go?
Now let's read God's word as we find it in 2 Samuel and they are chapter 12. 2 Samuel and at chapter 12 we'll read at uh, the beginning of the chapter. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and it was like a daughter to him now there came a traveller to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. <clears throat> and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword <clears throat> and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against you out of your own ha house, and I will take your wives, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do it, this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. 
but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead, and David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called him uh, his name Jedidiah because of the, the Lord. Now Job fought against Rabbah the, of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Job uh, sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. <laughs> so David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone. And it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it, and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes, and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, even in this passage of scripture that we have read, there is profound mystery. There are things that we do not understand. But there are other things that are crystal clear. The penalty for adultery in Israel was death. The penalty for murder in Israel was death. But you spared this man. And that gives us an insight into who you are. He is permitted to remain as king. It's not as if things are the same as they were beforehand. They are very, very different. 
but you were merciful towards him. And we pray that we would remember that because the the enemy of our souls wants us to limit the mercy of God. The enemy of our souls would have us believe that you are niggardly and mean and that you are not out for our welfare the way that the devil is. We realize that in the Garden of Eden the deceit was this you shall be as gods you shall not surely die it was to turn everything that God said on its head and it was to make God out to be mean and narrow and that the devil was out for our welfare sad to say we have accepted that bait hook line and sinker again and again and again but teach us we pray to listen to your word and to block our ears to the enemy of our souls and as we turn to your word this night we pray that you would help us we realize that everything about what we're doing this evening will be sheer futility if you leave us to ourselves but you have promised us a helper you have promised us your Holy Spirit and uh, we ask that he will be in our midst this night to guide us and to keep us and to bless us and so have mercy upon us and have pity upon us and help us and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen Now let's sing this time in Psalm 139a. Psalm 139a. And uh, it's at verse 13. That's on page 181 of the Psalter. Psalm 139a, page 181 of the Psalter at verse 13. For you, O Lord, created me. You wove me on your loom. My inmost being you have formed within my mother's womb. We'll sing verses 13 to 15 of Psalm 139a. For you, O Lord, created me.
Now let's turn to the passage we have read in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and we'll read again at verse 23 But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. I haven't got headings for this particular uh, sermon. I want to go through some of the texts that that lie uh, um, prior to this particular text and to say something also about uh, this text, uh, or at least the contents of this text itself. At the beginning of the chapter we have Nathan the prophet coming to David and telling him a story that really was a reflection on what David had done himself. David had committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba when he discovered that Bathsheba was pregnant. He tries to put the whole thing under the carpet and he tries to get Bathsheba's husband home from the war front and to be with Bathsheba so that everybody would think that the child was Uriah's uh, uh, um, child. But it didn't work out for him. Even when David got Uriah completely drunk, in his drunkenness he still would not go into Bathsheba. How can I do that when my colleagues are at the place of war there was integrity in the heart of Uriah and he wasn't an Israelite he was a Hittite Um, and by and by David in his panic has Uriah killed now it's true that Uriah did not die by the hand of David but it is equally true that David was guilty of the murder of Uriah. He put him in the hottest part of the battle and he knew that Uriah was going to be killed uh, there. And it was all about the panic that sets in when you rebel against God and particularly the panic that sets in when you are rebelling against God when you are in the position that David was in. And um, I don't know how it went in the mind of David for at least nine months. Did he think he had gotten off with it? Well, maybe. Were the easy nine months? I, I, I can hardly think that. But he endured at any rate. Until Nathan comes to him with this story. And when Nathan tells him the story about this little ewe lamb. And I've just read the story. David was absolutely livid. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. But the problem was this. David... You are the man. Now I am not saying that we would 
in the given circumstances have acted any differently I've said this a lot recently we think we know ourselves and we think we know what we would do in given circumstances but I rather think that we would really surprise ourselves we are capable of anything and we are capable of everything and one thing that we're very capable of doing is this we are very very capable of condemning other people for the very sins that we would excuse in ourselves because that's exactly what's happening here this man deserves to die but you are the man And of course, as I mentioned in my prayer, the penalty for adultery in Israel was to be put to death. And the penalty for murder was to be put to death. And that is what David deserves. And he comes clean by and by. Late in the day, I know. But he does. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And you know, the reality is this. We may not have committed adultery in the way that David committed adultery. And we may not have killed another human being in the way that David killed another human being. But there is one thing for sure. We have mountains of sin in our lives. And we deserve to die because of that. And when I say that we deserve to die, I use that word advisedly. Because uh, scripture talks about the second death. And the second death is to be lost eternally in hell. And that is what sin deserves. And that is what you and I deserve. But the glory tonight is this. That we are here to worship the same God that interacted with David. And we'll notice later on in this passage of scripture that David worshipped God. He worshipped the God who spared him death for adultery. He worshipped the God who spared him death for uh, murder. And you know these are astonishing insights that God gives us on the pages of scripture into who he is. But here's a profound mystery. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And I'm not going to pretend that I can unpack that. Because scripture seems to be saying that there is a connection between this child dying and David's wrongdoing. And I'm out of my depth. Completely. But just because there is mystery here, it doesn't mean that we cannot glean from other parts of this story. Because we read, The Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, 
night he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And I would have to say, good honour. Good honour. The child is sick and it's not just an everyday sickness that it's clearly going to recover from. And, and David does. <clears throat> the one thing that he can do in these circumstances, he turns God word. And not only does he pray and plead with God, he fasts. He sets aside his routine pattern of eating and he concentrates his time and efforts on interacting with God. You know, I think that perhaps, and well I don't think perhaps, I know that fasting is not practiced in the way that it ought to be practiced. Where we set aside our partaking of food and put our all and everything into being on a one-to-one with God and wrestling and pleading with God. And you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about the amount of time that we give to food, particularly for those who are, and, 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 and usually it's the women who have the responsibility of preparing the food. And in a given day, there's an awful lot goes into it. Uh, a lot of energy and a lot of time we commit an awful lot to um, just making the provision of food available to us but with the fasting that is set aside there are more important things to deal with and right now it's the sickness of this child that David is dealing with and he lay all night on the ground And you know, there are different postures for prayer. People sit and pray. People uh, stand and pray. People lie and pray. If you remember, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane was flat out on the ground. He was prostrate on the the ground. And uh, we know that Gethsemane was an absolute battle zone. But so too is this right now for this man, eh, David. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, and he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead for they said behold while the child was yet alive we spoke to him and he did not listen to us how then can we say to him the child is dead and you know there's nothing new under the sun listen to the next few words he may do himself some harm You know, in the, in, a, in 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 the last couple of weeks, I think the Keswick Bridge has been closed at least on eight occasions, with people at least threatening to go over the bridge. There's nothing new under the sun, and you know, 
it's very very easy for us to be dismissive of these people and and I know it 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 causes all kinds of problems for the public at large and whatnot and it's very easy of us to be dismissive of these people and sometimes to just say well it's a cry for help there are these are attention seekers but the bottom line is this when you get to that stage things are pretty low and pretty bad And uh, one of the marks that ought to mark the Christian church is that of compassion. And I do hope that we are a compassionate people. And that when nobody else is willing to listen, not a soul else is willing to listen, that we would be. Because that's the way Christ is with us. I mean, why on earth would Christ want you or me? Why? When we've just sung a song that tells us he knows us inside out, he knows absolutely everything about us, why on earth would he want to have anything to do with us? Because he is pitiful. And because he is compassionate. And we will only ever be saved because God is full of pity and full of compassion and I think we have an obligation to reflect something of that pity and that compassion as we interact with a heartbroken world full of so so many problems but at any rate David's people around him were realists they realised that even the king of Israel can hit rock bottom and is capable of doing things that at other times may not ever cross his mind. He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Now up until that point in time, David is wrestling with God. David is pleading with God. David is asking for God to be compassionate. But let's remember this. And sometimes we struggle with this. Sometimes God says, no. It's not that God doesn't answer. It's that God hasn't given us the answer we want. And it is just so easy at a point like that for us to go off and huff with God. Now it's not that we would share this with anybody else. We're too superior for that. But that's the way it is. And it's not just that we go off and huff with God. It festers away in our hearts and in our souls and it bubbles over into anger and sometimes we are livid with God. Do we have a right to be livid with God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Is it sinful to be livid with God? Absolutely. But we are here this night to worship a God not only who forgives adultery and forgives murder but forgives livid believers. That's the astonishing thing. 
They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. David did not get what he wanted, but he did get an answer. And his response then is to go in to worship this God. And you know, that can be very, very hard to do in given circumstances. Seven days, it's not a long time, but you do know that bonds are, 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 are created even in that short space of time. But David is a realist and when the child is dead he realises that's it. I have to accept that. He then went to his own house and when he asked they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. They cannot work it out. Because in their minds they are thinking, if David is this bad while the child is still alive, he's going to be a hundred times worse when the child dies. But their minds did not operate at the level that David's mind operated at. Good on David. It almost seems wrong to say good on David. Because David has done dreadful things. Dreadful things. And yet in the midst of dreadful things he is doing something that is God-honoring. And that is fitting and that is appropriate. And that is realism. And I think it's important for us always to have that balance. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. But I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. And that's one of the very difficult things about death is it's just the sheer finality of it. You know, as far as our interactions and communings in this world are concerned, it's all over. It's come to an end. And that can be just so, so painful. And the difficulty is this for us as human beings. We just take so much for granted. I mean, in the stresses and strains of everyday living, we just take those around us so, so for granted. We just assume, well, they're going to be there. They're just going to be there. And that is not the way it's going to be. That is not the way it's going to be. And we ought to harness that knowledge and to and to just to appreciate the days and the years that we are permitted 
to be um, together because it's coming to an end every single one of these bonds every single one of these relationships well as far as this world is concerned as far as this world is concerned but you know as you go through the Old Testament you know when God interacts with the human race he tells things from the word go to the human race he tells Adam and Eve things but he doesn't tell them everything and not even in the year 2022 AD has he told us everything God hasn't told us everything about himself and I don't know if we'll ever fully know everything about God I'm not sure that we will but what I'm getting at is this God's revelation to us is progressive for example we who live in New Testament times have far far more knowledge than Old Testament believers eh, than Old Testament believers had I mean Abraham saw Christ's day and he rejoiced in it what did he see? did he see a crucified Christ? did he see a risen Christ? well that's what we see that's what we see we have so much more insight we have so much more depth to the revelation uh, God has given uh, to us but there are some passages in the Old Testament where and indeed some of the Psalms where they talk about death and there are, there are questions hanging in the air they, they don't seem to have the insights and the confidence that we ought to have as New Testament believers. Now it's not that it's all darkness in the Old Testament because Job said that I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he knew that with his eyes he would see him. But even Job's knowledge, I, I mean many believe that the book of Job is the oldest piece of literature in the Old Testament and if that is true and it may well be true then the oldest piece of literature has a man who's saying I will see him but here is David and the question is this can I bring him back again and he's being realistic about it I can't but there is something else I shall go to him but he will not return to me now some believe that what's being said here is simply that David is saying he's going to go to the place of the dead just the way his son has gone to the place of the dead in the Old Testament it was called Sheol but I do believe there's a lot more than that being said here because personal pronouns are being used I shall go to him who's the I? David is the I who's the him? it's this child you know <clears throat> when Jesus was on the cross at Calvary he said to the thief that we know of as the saved thief today thou shalt be with me in paradise 
Now I, I know there's a great deal of mystery here because the body of Jesus that day was put in a tomb and the body of the saved thief, I don't know what will happen to it. Did, did, did it get any decency? Maybe it was just thrown on to the, to, to the pile at, uh, at Golgotha. But the bodies were not there. So what was there? It was the soul of Jesus. And it was the soul of this man. And it seems to suggest that, I mean personal pronouns, today you will be with me. The you is the thief, the me is Jesus. He's saying that the you me will be in paradise and I take it that there will be recognition. So there's a recognition at a spiritual level of two people in heaven and one is Christ and one is the thief. But no bodies. Now the body of Jesus has gone to heaven now. He is there body and soul. The body of the thief has not gone to heaven uh, yet. But one day he will. And will it be a physical recognition as well as a spiritual recognition? I think so. I think so. But it's not just in New Testament times we come up with that kind of thinking. Here it is, way back in the days of David, 3,000 years ago. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Do you know, in the moment of death, there is this there has to be this acceptance they're not coming back they're not coming back and that is unbearably sad at times but that's not at all David says I shall go to him now the body of David is somewhere in dust in the land of Israel so too is the body of this child it looks as if there can be such a thing as spiritual recognition in heaven but I don't think that's at all I think when body and soul are reunited it looks as if there is recognition So basically what I'm saying is this, as far as we can glean from scripture, we will know one another in the great beyond. Now that itself creates problems. And the problem it creates is this, what about those who are absent? How can heaven be heaven? when loved ones are absent and again I'm not going to try to unpack that because I'm out of my depth again I think theologians talk along the lines of we think along the lines of the way God thinks and we see sin the way God sees it 
and we ultimately can add our Amen to everything because of that. But right now from this angle the thought of heaven with faces missing is just too hard an issue to think about. But we've considered these things and I think probably we've had to consider these things because of the passage of scripture that we are exploring but there is a solution to it all there is a solution to it all and the solution to it lies in the faith that David had in God he found refuge and he found shelter in the pity and the compassion of God. And if an adulterer and a murderer and a liar and someone who gets someone stupid drunk and all the other things that attach to the sinful life of David, if all that can be forgiven, then so can you. And so can I. And that means this. If God is willing to do that for us, the very least we can do is to do what David did. And that was to worship him. Even in the bleakest and in the darkest of scenarios, he worshipped God. And may God enable us to do the same whatever our lot might be may we bow in worship of this great and eternal and pitiful and compassionate God this night and may that be true of us one and all Amen O Lord our God we, uh, we thank you for the revelation you have given to us concerning yourself we confess our limited knowledge we confess of our being out of our depth so often but we pray that we would glean from what we understand in scripture and that it would be a comfort and consolation to us and that it would enable us to treat you in the way that we ought to treat you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise. In the same song, Psalm 139, it's at verse 16. I know that we've uh, sung verse 16, but it will bear repeating. Verses 16 to 18. And all the days that I should live which you ordained for me were written in your book, O Lord before they came to be. We'll sing verses 16 uh, to 18 and all the days.
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both now and forevermore.